Mandy Yakich from Creative Matters, and you're listening to Creative Matters On Air, where I have conversations with new and established artists from around New Zealand. I love to listen to artists' stories and learn about their creative process, and maybe you do too, which is why I've made this podcast, to inspire, inform and educate. I hope you can take away something positive and encouraging from each of these amazing stories to help you on your own creative journey. Hi, and welcome to Creative Matters, episode 31. Thank you so much for joining me. Today I'm talking to Catherine Wilson. Catherine Wilson is New Zealand's most successful shoe designer. She created her brand Catherine Wilson at the age of 23 in 2003 with a dream to make beautiful shoes for cool people and go big. And that she certainly did. Catherine Wilson is now an internationally renowned footwear brand, a household name in New Zealand, and one of New Zealand's fastest growing fashion brands. Catherine hosted a New Zealand first exclusive footwear runway show at New Zealand Fashion Week in 2010, and in 2011 she opened her first retail store in the form of a pop-up shoebox that travelled New Zealand, which was later joined by three standalone boutiques in Auckland and one in Wellington. She has an ever-growing online presence and following through her website, katherinewilson.com, and through social media. As well as a talented designer, Catherine is a well-respected leader, ambassador, entrepreneur and businesswoman, known for her generosity in sharing her knowledge, skills and acute business acumen. You can hear great stories of her life and creative journey on this podcast, including the shoe design competitions her and her sisters would have, using the shoes bought for them by her mum from Para Rubber, sweeping the floors and doing the ironing for Karen Walker as a teenager, hanging out with Jimmy Choo, her shoe preferences and favourite Catherine Wilson shoe of all time. And there's so much more you're going to hear about, and I'm sure you'll love it. Enjoy. Welcome to Creative Matters, Catherine. Thank you. So nice to see you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. And I'm looking at you with um, a beautiful photo of a woman in your glorious shoes behind you. Yes. (laughs) And a pile of amazing shoes. And I can see some very nice light blue boots, which I Uh, totally fancy. Too close because it's probably a big mess, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Samples. Not at all. And um, yeah, I'm not sure if you saw my Instagram story, but I had to buy a pair of silver Zaza sandals just in the interest of research. <laughs> they are amazing, those heels. They'll make you happy every time you wear them. They're I know. Like, they are, they're so cool. And then now I'm thinking, oh, the leopard, the leopard yes. ones. Maybe I yes. need those also. Yes, they're beautiful. And it's a timeless classic, you know. Yeah, totally. They'll last forever, I'm sure. All right, so, Catherine, let's just head back, way back to when you were small. I read that as a little girl you said that uh, you were one, the one in a purple track suit, lace socks, pink shoes, and hair in a matching scrunchie on your family holidays at your uncle's farm in Kitty Kitty, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> terrified of getting dirty. So um, I'd love to hear what kind of little girl you were. Tell us about the young Catherine Wilson. Well, that will make my mum laugh because she remembers that um, also. But I 
I think being the youngest of three girls, we did have um, a dynamic of always, you know, I guess like the My Little Ponies and Barbies and, um, but we would have these wonderful holidays up north and I, yeah, I definitely was exposed to my cousins living a very different life to us being in the city, city girls. Um, but secretly I loved it. Uh, so we grew up in Papakura in the 80s. I was born in 1980 and um, my mother is a was a primary school teacher, and she was my teacher when I was seven. Oh, wow! Um, and at, unfortunately, at that time, my father passed away, and when I was seven, so when I was four, he became sick with cancer. And then, um, I guess, like mum, being a really strong woman that she is, uh, looking back now, reflecting that I have my own children, um, did an incredible job of keeping our family. Um, going as a unit and not only that but in a way that only mothers can you know with a cup full cup overfill um she's like the eternal optimist and just always encouraged us as kids and maybe me being the youngest also had it a bit easier just always encouraged us to do something we love you know go the fun route um make make sure you make yourself happy and all those choices especially within my schooling so I'll always be so grateful for that encouragement from mum, who's not not particularly creative herself, but my dad was very creative, and I think she saw that in all three of us girls. Um, and so I've been the younger, my oldest sister's very academic and um, very successful, and kind of did a double degree, and then in medical science and um, computer IT work is what she does now. And then the middle one um, had eight children beautiful children and married younger so it kind of left me to be the one that go off and you know follow your dream which was to be a shoe designer yeah lucky you and I did read that you um still have a pair of shoes from your childhood is that right well mum I remember a pair of shoes that mum got my special pair you know to wear to birthday parties and um, I kept them for a long time. Mum has kept my first ever pair of shoes. I don't know why I have them there in our store upstairs, but oh, a little wow. red pair of sandals. Oh, gorgeous. Um, but I'll never forget the pair that she bought me that were for good, you know, like your first good pair, and they were white with the little leather-covered buttons with cutouts on the toe and a point toe. But the best thing about them is they made the same sound as mum's heels when I walked because they had a little hard heel <laughs> on them. So they were my... Um, like favorite for a long time. Oh, until I, I love that. Absolutely couldn't put them anymore. <laughs> it's such a um, a memory for so many girls, isn't it? For so many women. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember a, a pair of um, white sandals that had black um, sole with same thing with a little bit of a heel, and I felt like I was clonking around, feeling pretty <laughs> cool. And yeah. it also had um, had buckles, a bit like yours actually, with the um, the metal. Uh-huh sort of rings yeah. on top and I absolutely love them and they were too big too when I first got them for some reason yeah but yeah, uh, yeah that sort of memory so did you actually love shoes were you into shoes as um, a girl I'm, I don't um well, so we often laugh about I grew up in Papakura in the 80s we had para rubber and uh I mean obviously it was mum was on her own we couldn't, couldn't have a lot all the money in the world and mum would let us choose a pair of shoes I think we were allowed two pairs each from power rubber each season or whatever it was um so we would go in and get commando m's and kung fu's those canvas yeah. up little, you know six dollars I can't remember what they were <laughs> um but of course being girls and being sisters and competitive we would all decorate our shoes um as a competition of who could make the coolest pair 
But with in the 80s, it was those puff paints, you know, the pens and then the hairdryer and or glitter pens or it was all the rage, you know, those gel things. Um, but I would go one step further, cut the sides out, turn them into slingbacks, you know, make them an open toe. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. And looking back, was I destined to be a shoe designer? I don't know. I just probably was a creative child. But then after school, my first, one of my first jobs was working at a shoe store in Manukau City Shopping Mall under Viani. And that's, I guess, like, I knew I wanted to pursue a creative career, but it wasn't until probably 16, 17 years old and working with footwear that it was cemented that it was shoes that I wanted to do. Oh, really? Wow. That's amazing. And so your your art, you know, you're obviously a creative person. Were you exploring sort of art and other other parts of art through high school? So I was really fortunate to have a trial curriculum. We went to a college called Rosehall College in Papapuna, and they were trialling eight subject curriculum, which meant for someone like me that was good at art and maths and not a lot else. To be honest, I scraped by in English, scraped by in history, um, you know, terrible with geography, anything important. I went, well, you know, in some people's <laughs> minds, I would get really high grades. I got to do art practical, art graphics, fabric design, and um, photography, and get my higher grades there. So my overall marks all got bumped up. So I think, again, in hindsight, it was an absolute um, win for me because it helped my grades in high school, but also it made me really enjoy going to school. Mm. Because here I was getting to do these electives that were my, you know, dream and in the sense of actually really caring about my projects and being really invested in the learning side because it was something that I loved doing. Yeah, which is amazing at high school to have that, isn't it? Totally. I know. And you think now, I mean, I don't know what they do now, but most schools at the time were five subjects, either a language, a science. Mm. One one art subject, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I... I do think that was a big part of being like allowing me to explore not only my creative side, but also kind of like get, get the confidence of when you get good marks and those kind of topics and um, electives, it does make you feel like, oh, I've got this, you know, and it also encouraged me to pursue a career in that creative side because my grades were all high in those areas. Yeah, yeah, that's really and lucky helpful. to have a mum that was like, oh, well, if you love it, you know, do more yeah. of it. Yeah. And also she was like, you're only allowed to leave school if you're going into tertiary and you're only going into tertiary if you can get the great marks. So it kind of led me into doing something again with the high grades, which was the creative side. So, mm. and I was more than happy about that. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. What a great start. And uh, you, I read that you got 98% in school C maths. Is that right? I know. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, well, and I remember that because my stepdad, who's awesome, said to me, what happened to the other 2%? <laughs> <laughs> he's, um, you know, Sounds like, like my dad. <laughs> dairy farmer, you know, yeah. is, and anyway, but we we still laugh about it now, 30 years later or whatever it is, because yeah. um, I often say that to Lola if she does really well at something, <laughs> you know, hanging <laughs> her on. <laughs> Payback. But, that, yeah. I mean, that is amazing that you um, – you know, you excelled so much in, in maths and then sort of had the creative side and nothing much in between kind of thing, which is interesting. Yeah, oh, and, and maybe it's like um, when you're interested. Yeah. You yeah. know, like your grades are better when you're paying attention probably and that's mm. all it was. Like mm. I was, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think 
Um, now, now that I have my own children, it's interesting because my six-year-old is really strong with maths and a little bit slower to learn to write and read. Mm. Um, but she can answer anything in the maths question. She's off. She's, you know, and so it's, I don't know whether it's um, a Genetic. skill or it's your memory, like maybe just the memory side. Mm. Just just so of, yeah, just a, a connection with maths and affinity for it kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. It's not the sort of thing you'd imagine in a way from a creative, but I guess, you know, no reason why not. Well, I think now I still love things that has to be, there's a symmetry, like whether that's architecture, um, engineering, motorways, roads, bridges. Like it, for me, the math side is more understanding, um, you know, like proportion and and that goes back with shoes because if things are slightly off or if things are, you know, I, I don't know, it's, for me it's, it is a mathematical thing of how it, the form of something and if yeah. it's slightly off, it's completely wrong. Mm. Um, yeah, and all the all the measurement and other I things. Think it's part of my and, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is quite mathematical though, I guess. I'd never really mm. thought of that, yeah. Well, especially the pattern making side. Mm. of clothing or any you know of shoes but um and I and interesting in my bachelor of design the pattern making marks again I got 100 percent it's something that was like quite boring for me and took a long to, you know like it's not something that I loved but I and obviously I was able to understand it quite well yeah yeah that was the way your mind worked <laughs> yeah and so how um I mean so many questions for you really Catherine but um Leaving school, you went down to um, Massey University in Wellington. So can you tell us about that time? Well, I actually did a year in Auckland beforehand because I never did bursary. I said to mum, I don't need bursary because I know I want to be a shoe designer, of course, like a little know-it-all senior. And um, mum said, well, you're not leaving school until you, you're going into tertiary. You don't have bursary to get into university, so you can't go to, you know, that was the Massey University was the um, Wellington Polytech at the time. But I did a year in Auckland um, doing a certificate in fashion to, to then allow me to get into the Bachelor of Design program. And at that time, I worked one day a week at Karen Walker. So I would, um, I just volunteered. When I worked at the shoe shop under Biani, my manager there, I'll never forget one of those pivotal moments of those people, you know, so many people along my journey, but she was one of them. This woman, Leanne, said to me, well, who do you look up to in your industry and who would be your everything, of, you know, that you could work for? I said, well, Karen Walker's amazing. She was about eight or ten years into her career then. Um, and for me as an 18-year-old to look up to her was, you know. And so she looked up the white pages at, back in the day and looked up the workroom number, called it and passed me the phone and said, tell her you'll sweep the floors for free, um, which, of course, I was terrified but that led to an internship, you know, work experience role that I did once a week on a Monday, every week, training from Hippocrat at 6 a.m. And I would, in this fancy, beautiful building in the um, Elliott Street, so behind your know, atrium on Elliott, that kind of big archways and really fancy, beautiful building. And I remember going in thinking everyone was so cool, <laughs> like, <laughs> really, you know, good looking and really clever. And I was terrified almost for anyone to talk to me because I just, you know, and in that sense of being 18 and nervous and shy, I would just soak everything up. And whether I'd be ironing for eight hours, I loved it. Or literally pricing sale garments in a cupboard, I loved it. And I would just listen and learn. And So while I was doing that one day a week, I was studying at AUT. Um, and, yeah, came out of that with quite 
high grades, and again, that pattern-making exam, I'll never forget the lecturer said, which one of you is Catherine Wilson? Someone's got 100% in this, you know, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how I did that, you know. So, But I think it was an um, interesting thing because AUT at that time was quite big groups and, you know, um, to get into Wellington to get into Massey was really, wow, I'm like, Best, mm. what, what, what I think is and what some a lot of people think is the best design school for really renowned for fashion design um and what that kind of made up my mind for me that okay I'm, I'm already going to live in Wellington and that will be the next journey and my, one of my best friends Michelle and I packed up her car um with everything to the help we've got the funniest photos you know kind of leaving home for the first time at 18 to live in another city and um and begin our next journey studying there. Mm. But I loved it. Macy was great. And um, so that's a three-year Bachelor of Design. And within my first year, lots of the lecturers realised that I was the girl that loved shoes. And you can't study footwear, unfortunately, still in New Zealand. Um, but even this is in 2000 and there were no options to study footwear. And I think at that same time, around 2000, all of the um, industry manufacturing here had shifted offshore mm. so there weren't opportunities to do apprenticeships or anything either so by doing a bachelor of fashion major majoring in fashion I was able to kind of base some of my assignments on footwear um whereas the rest of the class would do a clothing research topic or mm. and did you think that was that was kind of informing your your shoe design to be involved in the sort of more of the clothing side of things as well well, I guess it has to. I mean, in terms of the product design development side, it is similar, isn't it? When you're researching, um, mm. you know, textiles and colours and um, trend prediction and things and packaging and marketing, like it all did, it was all relative. Um, but I think I was really fortunate that the design lecturers in particular or um, the marketing business side would see the passion that I had was not short-lived it was like I really wanted to be have a career in footwear so mm. and um they were really great at yeah where they could I mean it was mm. a bachelor of fashion design so I was better making a tailored jacket but um but researching a history of a stiletto instead of a little black dress or, yeah, yeah yeah oh how interesting and that must have been the most amazing course oh it's so great I, and I still um you know I have a lot to do with Massey with the alumni and we'll go down. Sorry, that's my dog making noises again. <laughs> Carry on. She loves to be a guest on our show. <laughs> ah, wow. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think it's a, it is obviously still the best, um, you know, design school and the facilities they have, they're incredible. But, I mean, the group I went through with too were like lifelong friends and because we would be there the back in the day you had swipe access cards 24 hours so you'd finish your assignment at 4 a.m and that's wow. just what it was you know yeah. on the machines and everything yeah. I don't know if they still do that it's probably health and safety yeah probably. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but those kind of developing years I loved Massey for being it was quite um solid on the business side which I enjoy the marketing um papers I really enjoyed the again like boring but the accounting papers that we had to do and I enjoyed learning about the business side as well as having a huge focus on the design. Mm. Um, and then in my second year, our whole class applied for a scholarship to study. Um, it was like a sister schools program in England, Nottingham Trent University. And we all kind of memorised like 
who the mayor of London is and how far north of London Nottingham is and how long does it take in a train and all the, you know, we all had the interviews. So we were all telling each other, what did they ask you? Like, what did they ask you? And then prepared these portfolios and all submitted this work. And I'm, I'm 19 or maybe, yeah, 19, 20. And when they, we had three interviews and it was getting to final process and they said, you've been, you know, like it was a phone call to say you've been awarded the scholarship year off to live in England to study. Wow. Um, at Nottingham Trent University. And I, I remember ringing mum, who lived in Auckland still, you know, and saying, you know, that scholarship we all applied for. I was like, I got it. I'm going to, I'm going to and I was like, I don't want to go to England. I have to break <laughs> up with my boyfriend. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I have all my friends are here. Like, all of a sudden, it became a reality. That, yeah. Because um, until then, I mean, I yeah, you just think like a magic. But mm. it, I literally was this girl from Papakura and design theatres over there learning about trend prediction with 3,000 students and you know it was just an incredible um, mind-blowing kind of flip your life moment and in my lifetime in my career and also my personal development a real pivotal time. Mm, It would have been yeah what a great opportunity. Yeah and I mean it's I think they must still do it was funded by um worshipful company of drapers or something very formal but so, so we went to meet princess anne and all you know it was very formal at the time at new zealand house in london but i mean how incredible is that to give a student an opportunity not mm. only for the not only the education piece but just that life experience yeah totally yeah. that's amazing and mm. um and it would have yeah it would have no doubt really informed your your practice so what were you actually picking up from there that you wouldn't maybe have picked up back here do you think well, the caliber of the lecturers, I mean, awesome. Obviously, New Zealand has some amazing teachers, but a lot of the teachers that I had in New Zealand were retired from industry. So they might have worked in the industry at some point, had amazing skill set, and they could pass it on. Whereas in the um, seminars we had at Nottingham Trent, we were in huge groups listening to current trend prediction. Um, you know, experts who are sitting on a panel of six from Paris, and they would come and tell us about car paint colours for five years' time, you know, and then the current accessories designer for Topshop or Next or big high street retailers would come in and be the guest speaker or um, Mm. lecturer on any subject. And it would just be, you know, like I would be such a sponge, like all of us were, but um, having that kind of current knowledge and how things are currently working in the industry Mm. and the opportunities and I guess like showing us all what the opportunity what the scope is that we could if you kind of really take this and run with it you could really make something of yourself because this is what's happening now in the industry and these are the movements and this Mm. is important and this is you know that would have been um, so amazing and just and I imagine you you know young Catherine sitting there just thinking oh my god like oh this is amazing and so motivating I imagine yeah, yeah, and I lived in um, the International Hall, you know, the Students' Hall for um, people that weren't from there, from the university. So I had, you know, girls over the hall from New York School of um, Parsons School of Design and then I had people downstairs from um, Italy, like quite a big group from um, Spain and all in the fashion school. And so for me to be exposed at that age and and to be the girl from New Zealand. People are like, where? Mm. (laughs) Um, But it's so wonderful, isn't it? Because then it shows having that common interest and that passion, even it's even a tighter bond because you really support each other. It 
couldn't care less who anyone is or what your background is or yeah. you know if you, you kind of really appreciate each other's um style or skill or whatever the they're um specializing in mm. but and again the, some of those friendships are, are for life I you know one day um the one of the Italian girls and we were 20 not even 20 19 and walking home from university and she said I just want to pop in here and see uh, how much it is for this tattoo I want and I said oh yeah you know and then she walks in and says I've got an appointment for two people for four o'clock <laughs> what I don't want to get a tattoo <laughs> and she said yeah, we're going to together. Like, Mark, the time we've had together here in Nottingham is like a memory of a life. I was like, oh, my God, I don't want a tattoo. You know? She said, what do you love the most? I said, shoes. <laughs> of course. Right. So she wrote Scarpa, Italian for shoe, um, and she said, where do you want it? I was like, oh, my foot. And like, you know, so now I, mean, I remember mum being horrified because I had to tell her or show her a photo. I don't know, back in the day, you probably didn't have phones with photos. But um telling my mother I had a tattoo of the word shoe on my foot, you know. She was just like, oh, you're never. <laughs> Luckily, I became a shoe designer. So Yeah, I love I that story. It. That's so good. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's it's amazing to think at such a young age you were really so sure of, of what you wanted to do. And, I mean, did you just feel like that was going to happen, that's what you were going to do? I think so. And, and I never really questioned. It wasn't until years later when you get asked, um, you know, what would you, what's your plan B or what would you have done if it didn't work out? And I literally had never considered, I was like, what? What do you mean? You know, I think I just, maybe that beautiful naivety that you assume everyone's going to love what you do. And because it's, I think it's a good idea. Surely everyone's going to love it. You know, and then obviously 20 years later, you, you learn quickly that that's not always the case, but Mm. Um, but it is nice and to think that naivety that I just was so not even headstrong just passionate and excited yeah, yeah. and thinking like sure of course everyone's going to want these you yeah know, which is good you know it's mm. a great thing and it's probably picking up your mum's sort of attitude of the cup oh, it is an optimism you know. thing yeah, yeah. And, and just thinking naivety. positively hey yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which is great that's the way it should be yeah. we all need to be like that hey yeah, so what well, when you, when, sorry, carry on. No, I was just thinking at some time at different times of your life, it's it's um probably quite important to be like that. Because now when I think in girlfriends, my I mean I'm 41 now, but if you sometimes make some big calls around your career later in life, not to say you shouldn't, you absolutely should, but there's a lot more risk assessed at the time because you've probably got a lot more to give up. Whereas as a 20-year-old, the worst thing that could happen is it didn't work and I had to rethink something else, you know? Yeah, but it's great. I mean, you know, a little girl from Papakura from New Zealand with such sort of high hopes and, and big dreams, is it's pretty cool, especially in a market in New Zealand at that time particularly. It wasn't a huge market really in shoes in the same way, was there? Yeah, but I think that was really why I was cemented in the idea because our New Zealand industry was becoming so renowned and so respected. And when I was in England at that time, 2000, 2001, 2000, I think it was, New Zealand had this body of designers go to London Fashion Week. Um, and we were compared, this is Kate Sylvester, Karen Walker, Zambezi, World, and possibly Trelease, I can't remember. Um we were compared to the Belgian Five because of the talent and the, you know, it was, uh, I remember thinking like, 
wow, New Zealand's on a global stage being recognised for design. How wonderful and how proud as anyone in the industry, but also imagine if I could be that name and shoes because there's a platform already, um, you know, it's, and New Zealand's known obviously for quality product across wine and um you know, meat and export and agriculture and everything else. And then for us to sit that way with design, it really made me feel like there's an opportunity to have a global, if I wanted to, you know, a bigger exposure than just little old New Zealand. Mm, so good. And then what happened when you came back from your scholarship? Was it more uni or? Well, yeah, I had another year to do to finish my degree in Wellington. So that went quite quickly. Um, but I was already, again, because of maybe being exposed to the big old world that I'd seen and the scale of the industry that I'd seen, I think it cemented my thoughts of this is this is 100% what I want to do and I want to do it now. I remember this, this urgency, like I have to do it now before anyone else does maybe or like before the opportunity's gone or there was a bit of a gap in the market at the time where there were quite big commercial brands um families family businesses of shoe design slash manufacturing importing um, companies but there wasn't anyone of that smaller independent um, boutique line that I felt that I could fill the gap and I wanted to make kind of small runs, limited edition shoes. I think being in England and being out at night or and seeing everyone wear the same high street fashion, it was almost like the first time I'd experienced that of scale because come, coming from New Zealand, everyone's quite, we like to be a bit different, don't we? Or a little bit unique or have our own take on it or we love wearing something there where there's only a small amount made. Um, so that was, I think, part of my kind of proposition where I thought I want, I want girls to go to a party knowing that they're not going to be one of a hundred wearing the same pair of pink heels and you know and same goes for a wedding or you kind of have this like once they've sold out they've gone um this lovely thought of it being a collector's item or a bit of a um something you really appreciate instead of just an item you can get any old time um so I applied for an AMP scholarship so I was 21 and that the scholarship at the time um, was called something like Follow Your Dream, um, Live Your Dream. And that was one of my lecture, guest lecturers at AUT, a guy, Paul Blomfield, who used to be fashion industry in New Zealand, um, cold called one day and said, are you the girl that loves shoes from Massey? Um, I was a lecturer there and I remember you telling me about it. There's this scholarship program I've heard about. I think you'd be perfect for it. I'll help you with your application. Wow. And again, it's another one of those people yeah, that just put himself out great. there. And I went and spent a day with him and his wife, Jill, at the time, and they helped me put together a portfolio and, you know, like a presentation to, to apply. Mm. And it was only $5,000, but at the age of 20, it meant like it was more that this company, huge, big corporate, believed in my dream and in my idea and made it feel like it's a good idea. So that I sh it's worth pursuing. Um, so I remember that process of going to be interviewed and very you know nervous. And then the, when we were acknowledged that we had won scholarships, they were different values and different amounts of money for different people. But we all had to stand up around a table and introduce each other and say what your dream was that you were doing. And there was what like a pro tennis player that was going off to a university in America, an academy, and there was a um, opera singer. There was like a um, weightlifting 80 year old weightlifter going to the masters and there was oh a God. heart surgeon you know, like <laughs> wow 
guy that had developed <laughs> technique to save people's lives while on the operating table. Um, anyway, and then, of course, my turn came to stand up and I had to say, well, I, I'm Catherine and I love shoes. <laughs> and I, you know, I love to be a shoe designer. And, and that humble, like, you know, you can't help but be like, oh, God, everyone here is way more clever than I am. But, um, but again, Mum, I went back and told Mum that and she said, well, Catherine, they all probably thought your dream was, you know, really exactly. great one too. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, that kind of set me off on the next path. And I had graduated university by then and I'd started working full-time for Caroline Sills, which is a knitwear designer. Um, this is a job I applied for out of the paper. So, again, having that kind of Bachelor of Design background, I was more trained to be a clothing designer um, than anything and there's no option opportunities in footwear and no apprenticeship. So I went to work at Caroline Sills. I absolutely loved it. And, the, again, the technical side of learning knitwear I found really interesting. Um, I trained under them for about a year before I won this A&P scholarship. So when I told them I'd won it and I was going to use the money to go and study in Belgium, do an internship with Dirk Bickenberg, which was all set up and it was all like exciting and I was, you know, it would be the coolest thing. And then they said, well, if you stay actually instead, um, we'll help finance you into your first production run slash sampling of your own designs. Wow. Um, again, another huge pivotal yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. I was only 22 and they believed in me enough or had, you know, enough um, generosity in them to say, let's see what you can do. You love, you say you love shoes, you know, like let's sample your first designs. And then so we launched, literally launched the brand at 23 years old um, by putting together a collection of seven styles and I sold them to seven stores um, of my favourite. I just reached out to, you know, stores that I loved around the country and said, would you view them, you know, do you want to order them? And again, like, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they want to order them? <laughs> <laughs> They'll love my shoes. So good. I love that. <laughs> so the other thing is we had a launch party. I still laugh about this. We had this beautiful Anna Bibby, Anna Bibby Art Gallery in Newmarket. Um, beautiful launch night, like a gorgeous cocktails, champagne, and I invited everyone in the industry um, thinking like they'll all want to come and celebrate me, which they did. So I sat in on a board AGM of a footwear industry board meeting. I was invited to go again from Paul Blomfield um, and just sat like a fly on the wall. But at the end of it, they introduced me, and this is like the Wanganui Tannery, um, giants of industry and people I absolutely looked up to, the Perillo brothers, um, Brooke Monks from David Alman and um, the family from Marla, Jan Marla and her brothers. And I said, um, oh, well, I really want to be a shoe designer. I'm New Zealand's next shoe designer, you know, and who wants to hire me? And I'll come, you know, I'll train on the floor and I'll, um, you know, I just assumed there'd be like opportunities in the industry. But as I said, because things had just shifted then and it had all kind of started to move offshore, um, there wasn't immediate opportunities, but they all came to support me when I had that launch night and the, they all turned up, which is just, you know, like how mm, epic is that? That um, is so good. I mean, you must have been stoked. Oh, totally. And I yeah. just had a lovely time. But yeah. now 20 years back, 20 years later thinking, what was I thinking? Like. Why, and I was celebrating something that hadn't even been launched. You know what I mean? Because yeah. we, hadn't, we hadn't put any shoes into production quite yet or it hasn't been delivered yet. 
But I was so confident mm. or naive that I thought, no, really, let's launch yeah. the brand. And why, why do you think these big brand, these big brand people came? I mean, did they already see what you were about and the potential that you had, do you think? No, no. I mean, possibly, but also maybe just like showing interest, showing support. I mean, now I'd like to think if, I, if there was a similar situation, you would um, give people, you know, the support mm. time. And um, But I just will never forget how kind that was to, you know, like really kind of, I did work for Andrebiani after school, as I said, and the Perillo brothers owned that, so he probably came along to say, oh, well done, you know. But I just still think that shows the camaraderie of, of an industry not being competitive to a point where they weren't willing to show mm. interest. You know, yeah. it's just wonderful. Yeah. And now, I mean, luckily it wasn't a one-hit wonder and it did turn into a brand and it did kind of substantiate itself after a few years. But um, but also equally, yeah, and I just think now we're so careful about what we do in terms of press releases or like the right timing and the right, you know, and it's just this, again, this lovely kind of genuine naivety where you think, you know, let's celebrate. Mm. We've yeah. got friends. <laughs> yeah, which is refreshing, isn't it? I mean, it's mm. actually probably a good approach, Yeah, <laughs> you know, in some ways. <laughs> it could go wrong, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and it makes it fun. Yeah, and it's, it's so beautiful that those people supported you in that way. And like you say, you can hopefully pay it forward as well. Yeah. And that's a nice thing about New Zealand, I guess, with, you know, being a small country and there yeah. weren't that many footwear designers at the time, I guess. And so it's a bit like a little sub-family in some ways. Yes, very much. And a traditional industry of, um, yeah, they were all very probably quite tight within the industry because they'd supported each other and you know I'm sure I'm sure she had a lot of um milestones highs and lows over the mm. 30 40 years of them making shoes in New Zealand yeah and there was a real tradition of that sort of family owned yes. business wasn't there in mm, shoes and generational yeah 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 which is interesting and so it would have been refreshing for them to have this young woman coming Maybe. up <laughs> I'm sure or really patronizing because I'm like <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's great. And uh, was was your first shoe a ballet flat? Is that right? I think yes. I read that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and that was something that we thought. Well, let's just test a really classic, timeless style that we could, we did it in eight colours. Um, and again, with the mentoring of Caroline Sills, who is a really very um, iconic, stylish woman, um, is something that I always will look up to the way that she is a commercial designer but she would always probably you know like have this a really amazing eye for something that was going to be timeless and obviously quality comes first and um something that doesn't date and so the ballet show for example was so iconic with the likes of Audrey Hepburn right through to kind of the supermodels of the 90s Cindy and Elle and they all wore this cute denim with the ballet show and the blazer look so it was having its revival at the time, 2002, 2003, and we just um, did a beautiful, soft upper, um, classic, really classic style in eight colours and then reordered and reordered and reordered when they started selling well. So after we'd sold that ballet show, we launched the brand, Catherine Wilson, um, and then we did a kind of adapted versions of like a quilted upper ballet and then a, um, one with a ruched kind of gathered upper on the front of the tower, like all these <clears throat> versions of a ballet and a, even a little boot that was like 
Alisa, we call we named it after um Muhammad Ali's daughter or something because it looked like a little boxing boot, but on the ballet shoes sole. So yeah, it was definitely probably trend based at the time, but also um a nod to my training with Caroline Sills at the time. Mm, how amazing. Mm. Such an interesting story. I mean, you know, for um for listeners who who don't know your brand and don't know you, I mean, you are as I said in the intro, one well, New Zealand's most successful shoe designer, really, I would say. And and your brand is so well known to to New Zealanders and internationally across the world. You know, so it's just it's incredible to hear the backstory and and all the amazing things that you've done to sort of get to this point. Yeah, mm, thank you. Really interesting. Well, you know, when you're on the journey though, you never think, well, it's also the the milestones that are the fun ones <clears throat> balance out with the learnings that are the really hard ones. So yeah, and always when something really amazing is happening, you're quickly showed it's you know like <laughs> the real life situation when you're having to deal with something the next morning that's you're considering a disaster. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of other things that can come into into your life instead of you know it's not just about designing a shoe once you end up with a big brand and and business, is it? So just going back to the um, the actual design side of things, how do you actually go about, I mean, I'm not sure if you're still, I mean, I guess you're still designing the shoe, but, uh, you know, when you were first starting, you were probably doing a lot of a lot of the jobs. How did you actually go about designing a shoe in the early days? Uh, well, it's actually the same process we do now. So um, I'm a pencil on paper girl. I I have learnt obviously at university all the CAD programs I could possibly, um, you know, have access to, but I still prefer old school. Um, and I love pencil because I think I'm not afraid to rework, rework, rework a shape instead of and worrying about being final pen lines or anything. Um, again, kind of my background of graphic design, I'm quite confident with line drawing, and I I really um, enjoy the the form and the shape of it's almost like I kind of can see, um, I don't know if you are the same, but can see the shape before you've drawn it. And so by working with paper and pencil, you can you can see when it feels like right. And if it's not looking right, it's it's either like reworking it, at, you know, at the time rather than getting it to a finished piece. And then I find it really interesting watching people work digitally because for me the form's not there or something. It's not it's almost like too flat and it's, mm. I can't, and I don't like the look of the shoe as much. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can um, imagine. And do you actually so, keep all those beautiful drawings? I mean, they're yes. probably, yeah, they'd, yeah, they'd be beautiful. Would you ever think of like putting it together as a collection of your, of your drawings? Well, we did celebrate our 10 year anniversary. Um, what's coming up eight years ago now at Saatchi and Saatchi Gallery. And they did this beautiful retrospective exhibition and it was put together, collated by the creative team at Saatchi Saatchi. So I, as a, as a you know, the, the business or the brand, almost stepped back to let them do that. And I remember thinking they wanted to tell a story of how the brands evolved. So they were quite keen to show that, you know, when I think, oh, God, don't show that. Don't show those drawings. They're terrible. And they were like, well, that's the whole point because people love to see the evolution yeah um, but yeah it was neat because we pinned hundreds of these drawings up on the wall at the time in the Saatchi gallery and it was open to the public for six weeks as a um 
exhibition. And I, yeah, and I had my little first pair of shoes that I mentioned earlier. Wow. That mom kept front wow. But a funny story with that mum went, we had this big fancy opening night and that was all media and you know champagne and everything. And then mum went the next day, walked through the exhibition when it opened to public. And then she said, she rang me and said, oh, hey, it's, I'm just at back at that gallery. Isn't it special? I didn't really get a good look last night. And I said, oh yeah, mum, I'm at the office. So, you know, you, she said, I was just ringing to let you know that I, the pair of red sandals on the wall at the door, I've um, I've got them. I took them and they're in my bag. I said, Mum, they're part of an exhibition, you know, for six weeks. She said, oh, I've kept them for 34 years. I'm not losing them now. <laughs> Good old Mum. stolen them off the wall and they had this beautiful printed decal around them of the wording and, what you know, once the girl that loves shoes, Mum just took the shoes. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Good on her. Yeah. That's um, so good. But the drawing side, yeah, it's very um, manual. And then so Julia, who works in the design with me, has been with me 10, 11 years. And she started out, um, it was my first full-time employee in the company, but she was kind of like an everything girl um, that would train alongside me to do, um, the you know, a lot of the other back end of backside, back story of the brand but then over the years maybe four or five years and started to work on the design with me and now we work really closely together um, on every collection and every product and she's now my creative director mm. um, and we're just training in another girl who's a graduate from university who did an internship with us two years ago and we employed her last year and has worked this year with us as e-commerce and um, the e-commerce role and now she's stepping into the design team with Julia and I so that's really exciting oh that's so exciting it's so great that she's been with you for so long right you know right from the beginning really yes yeah 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 Uh, sorry I just need to say uh, there's a siren happening can you hear that no I can't Uh, we're rural so we've got the uh, the volunteer fire brigade siren is going off there's always something exciting when I'm recording oh (laughs) okay yeah yeah hopefully um yeah so just going back to uh, to your process um what happens after you've done the drawings um so I think we well really the research side used to be so much that we would travel we would um you know look at people on trains draw people's feet on you know parks wherever you are now and then um, there used to be those books you know like the Satorialis type you know with watching people on the street and really cute magazines out of Asia, Japan in particular, and Harajuku where you could almost people watch by a print. Now obviously everything's online and um, we still love to travel to see things and, and definitely vintage, but a lot of our research would be screenshots and pulling up colour palettes and anything you're kind of inspired by. And then that gets all printed and put onto a big, I've got our um, summer wall here at the moment, but mm. just shapes and palettes and things. Yeah, and then... Wow. Um, once we've drawn, we lay it out and because we've got Catherine Wilson, M Dub by Catherine Wilson is a different collection. We do Little Wilson um, Mummy and Me collection for like three-year-olds to eight-year-olds. Baby Wilson is a cute little um, six-month-old. Oh, wow. um, and the men, so they're kind of, and now we've got this new collection called Kind, which is sustainable um, either components and manufacturing processes that we're trying to incorporate a lot more of that into our main line, but we're kind of got it out at the moment as a collection of its own. Um, so when we've laid out each collection, I and mean, it's literally on the floor with pieces of A4 paper, um, and it's really to make sure there's no double-ups because our retail stores sell all of it, but we often sell to department stores that will buy across the ranges. 
So you're kind of looking for like a skeleton map. Of, it's all, again, quite formulaic, quite mathematic of how many pieces need to be in each collection based on the sales of last collections and the most successful styles have to be kind of reinvented, etc. So it's not that romantic because you're really kind of building something based on the commercial needs. Mm. Um, but again, there's pieces, there's always pieces in there that we will fight for because it's possibly not something that's bread and butter as in super commercial, but it really lifts our spirits or it'll be something that we personally would love to wear. Mm. Sometimes you kind of know, oh, it's not, it's not going to sell, but we'll sample it knowing that it'll lift the range and yeah. show that we're kind of progressing and take people on a bit of a journey. Whether they buy it or not, they can see that you're leading them somewhere. Yeah, yeah, which is great. It's a great mm. philosophy. And, I mean, it must be hard for you as a creative in some ways to have have this big business and be so sort of busy with with your brand and then I mean does do the creative ideas just keep coming when you live such a busy life yeah I know what you mean but I think the probably the biggest um hiccup for me was the kids because if, if you can't separate you know how there's I love my children but then I used to have headspace to I don't know, go to the Coromandel to my mum's beach house and design for a week or something like that where you kind of have the separation of space. And then now you have the office, which is busy, and it's now about marketing plans and print, um, you know, collateral deadlines or catwalk try. Or it's like all the other side of your day is um, not necessarily creative. And then you go home to a really full busy you know like until they're in bed and then of course when they're in bed you catch up on other it's not create so there's le- there's less headspace for creative time yeah possibly. yeah okay, so I and that's because I have a two-year-old and a six-year-old so that's just the time but then I love a shower don't you love it <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> oh I just wait like 10 minutes for myself where I come up with really <laughs> simple but great ideas because yeah. I'm like oh that's exactly what I need to do or good thinking like, time yeah, quiet car ride where mm. I'll purposely not have a podcast on or or the sometimes not even music just so that I can process or download yeah. or just like remember what's um, front of mind. And so for a creative process, sure, it's getting trickier, isn't it? Because you, you can't kind of set aside creative time. And especially in this like lockdown environment where you're expected to be you know, there's the, there's other pressures of landlords and lawyers and accountants and lots of forecasting and lots of like preparing for what ifs and business and then going, you've got two weeks to put out like a really commercial collection that's going to, you know, reach targets and budgets and all, you know, because you're always trying to, I guess, like make sure you're wholesale. Well, for us, we wholesale to over 80 stores. So their livelihood is only as good as our collection you know like we have to mm, give them a really mm, good selling range otherwise yeah. they're not making the same um, yeah. margins they need to it's quite a big responsibility I guess in some ways yeah and I guess that builds because when I used to do something because just because I loved it and now you almost have to do a few of those but you have to do majority of things knowing that you're going to provide a product that they're going to get a result from that enables them to have a successful business as a retailer. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's another angle, isn't it really? And I mean, there must be lots of challenges, you know, to, to doing what you do and and juggling it all and, you know, sort of figuring out that work life 
home life balance and and the mum balance with, with the businesswoman and you know but you're obviously handling that well and it's about getting people getting, <laughs> yeah you look good today <laughs> that's a good sign but it's about getting people around you I guess who who can support you and and the work yeah. that you're doing so I think again I was fortunate that by the time I had children I had had a business for 15 years almost and I had the infrastructure here to the team were really capable and I all it took was for me to trust them and let them step up and they are all amazing um you know like it's only shown me that they're actually way more capable than I might have even thought and then that gives you the comfort to you know be less present if you have to be or um obviously at that newborn baby stage or even being pregnant I remember our advisory board saying you know this you have to realize this means you're literally not in the office like what does that look like um and then yeah, the other side of it has been okay to accept help at home. And I think one of my really good friends said to me from the very beginning, like, just accept it. Don't, you know, the whole thing of um, the mother's guilt that <clears throat> if your child's at home and you're in the office using that time because they're sleeping, you feel like you should, well, you know, you miss a milestone. Like, I'll never forget a nanny taking our six-month-old on the swings and sending me photos. And I was like, is she ready to go on a swing? Can they, can they go on a swing? Because <laughs> I think I just hadn't. You know, when you're not your first mum and you can't help but feel like you're missing out because they're learning to crawl. Mm. But then actually you have to draw a line, like be okay with that, that help is enabling you to have both. So don't torture yourself because when you are home, be 100% if you can. You know, if you can be as present as you can be and be there for them. And then when you are at work the same, they deserve it. They deserve my 100% attention here. Yeah. Um, And so I had to just... Yeah, really use them. But I remember Karen Walker saying to me too when she had Valentina, um, she's never been so focused. She was just like, you just learn the time you have, whether it's an hour or 20 minutes, is going to be the most used time that you've ever had because you have to. Yeah, and that, that can be a good thing too, I guess, makes you more disciplined. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with design, you know, procrastinating, the, the, you know, world's best procrastinator when it comes to design deadlines and things. So when you know that you've got a tight turnaround, regardless of the project, um, you make it happen. Yeah, deadlines can be good. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, I know that I, I think I read somewhere that um, every New Year's you uh, make a resolution to say no more often. <laughs> How are you going with that one? <laughs> I know, well, friends would laugh at that because I'm just here and my husband, it drives me crazy because I'm yeah, sure, you know, like, let's do it. Come over, come to ours. <laughs> um, and I mean it because it really fills my cup. Like, I love being around people that kind of lift me and make, you know, like, I, for me, girlfriends is really important, and whether that's a walk or yoga or a dinner party or, you know, I think I really need, um, it does make me feel like my, I can do this if I have a balance of, Mm. Um, doesn't even need to be anyone doing anything exciting or amazing around me I just really love the camaraderie of of those friendships and then obviously um yeah becoming a mum I think it was more around saying no so that I could be there a lot more and be a lot more present and enjoy what we've built because the old rushing woman syndrome like you can't help but the you know, you're kind of always on a treadmill to get to the next thing or whether it's the next deadline or the next season. <clears throat> but you forget to stop and enjoy where you're at. And um, yeah. 
mum's always said that to me, like never wish a day away, even in those tricky newborn weeks or months. Um, you know, because they say it goes fast. I felt like, oh my God, these days are so long. Everything's like dragging out. This, you know, the days feel like 48 hours. <laughs> but now as soon as the baby's about six months old, you're like, wow, that went quick. Yeah, um, yeah, and the same thing with just life. Like, I mean, I've been married eight, nine years, and um, you know, it's funny how uh, you know, think like forty-one starting. You can see how things are starting to go quite fast, of in the sense of just enjoy it. Yeah, um, totally. We bought a family a beach house when we first got married, and it's a seventies Coromandel house in Paranoe that's close to Mum's. Um, but again, that we kind of made this commitment to say no more so that we can get in the car, take our own little family and just go and have simple time together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So important. And actually getting away helps you to do that, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think um, my husband, has, Liam, has his own business as well. And then he launched that when just before we got married. So it's been um, a parallel journey of kind of growth and commitment from it, which I... Of course, I love his ambition, but at the same time, it would have been great if one of us was more <laughs> um, kind of, I guess, like available at home or, um, you know, so. Yeah, but then, you know, you're obviously attracted to each other for, for those reasons, that sort of those attitudes that you have for, you know, making stuff happen. Yeah, yeah. sure. You yeah. don't want to. You don't want to be married to a couch potato, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> um. So, just thinking about your your business and your life in general, I mean, there must be so many challenges that you experience. I mean, even down to you know, um, importing issues or exporting issues with um, especially with COVID at the moment. And you know, yeah. what, what would you say are some of the challenges that you experience? Well, I, one that comes to mind um, was one of my biggest learnings. We were probably about six years in the business and I had a shipment arrive from Spicy, but it had been transshipped from um, China into Singapore and um, had sat there for three weeks or so until it got on the next flight to come down here. And that does often happen. Obviously, if we're coming from Europe, some of our shoes come from Spain or Italy and they'll sit in Singapore. Um, anyway, in this particular shipment had been in a vessel that was potentially contaminated or that the container had not been sprayed to the New Zealand, um, can, you know, like regulation of the fumigated, you know, for our agriculture industry. So they called us from customs, um, you know, to say we can't release this container of your shoes, so 3,000 pairs of beautiful shoes, you know, um, because there's potential of a fungicide or, you know, like something in the container. And then, and at such a, I think I might have been 26 or 27, and you just rely on the process. Like there was nothing we could have done differently, but it's an interesting thing to go through because immediately we had to, um, and this was at a time where I was still in business with Caroline and Lloyd Sills. They became um, formal shareholding, 50% shareholders in the business. Um, I've since bought them out about four years ago, so I now have 100%, but they were very much part of my 15-year journey as business partners and mentors. So with this happening, I, I remember like sitting on the floor of the warehouse and literally crying because me, I, they were like my babies and they were not, they have to destroy them. So we had to make a call. They wouldn't release them. They wouldn't leave them in the country. They're going to destroy them. So I was just so upset about this amount of beautiful shoes that I couldn't 
cuddle. But the reality is that we had 80 stockers who were expecting that stock. And if we miss a cutoff of deadline of, you know, like there might be department stores or different retailers have certain, you know, rules that fit within their trade um, agreement that say if you miss this cutoff, obviously they don't want the product. So we had to remake um, this amount of shoes very quickly, air freight them down back into New Zealand and clear them and dispatch them out without any of our wholesale accounts even finding out. So that put us, and and any media finding out, because it's a really bad slant, obviously. Mm. Um, But to be in a cash cash position to do that is one thing. And the manufacturers are able to do this. They, I think they turned around that order in like 10 days, two weeks for us. Wow. And you can air freight something down in three or four days. Um, not great for your carbon footprint, but also the expense. Um, anyway, so for us to wear that cost, and then it wasn't until six months later possibly we would have cleared the insurance side of it because the trans, the manufacturer said they left in perfect condition. The um, transport company said they fumigated the container. The shipping company said everything was done by the, you know, like, so no one would take responsibility. Mm. So, um, and I was really fortunate, again, to have the funds within the business that it was sitting at a point where we could just have late, outlay a whole other production run. Wow. Whereas if it had been, you know, possibly me without business partners or if I had been in a position where we were borrowing or in debt um you know it could have been the end of us just because of that purely mm, that I could mm. refund the whole other production run and I think that again just puts things in perspective of um like the process of what you have to just like calmly okay this is what's happened and then what is the best route of how do we break it down into smaller problems and um and make it manageable to to have a solution to the answer mm. so yeah, I guess there's all, now our challenges are around, um, well, obviously people because we've got four stores here in, New Ze- in um, Auckland and Wellington and then we have around 80 stockers So you and our team is about 20 of our staff but then you're dealing with their staff, their stores, their training, um, you know, like making sure there's an educational piece around how our shoes are made, what they're made of, how they fit, like in terms of the, um, <clears throat> you know, the quality control side and there's, there's a lot that goes on the other responsibilities you have as a brand and then the other marketing side, which is the fun stuff and all the shows we get to do and all the, you know, store openings and launches. And so a lot of it gets, um, in terms of, like you say, risk, like the problems become bigger because they're more important or you think they are because the outcomes relies on a lot more kind of cogs in the wheel maybe. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, I can imagine how stressful that would be. And has um, lockdown been a problem for your business uh well of course with our stores closed it was um not fun and for our team like I think it's a really we opened our Wellington store in this lockdown (laughs) it was due to open August and then of course our borders shut August the 21st or something ironically that was like the weekend we were going to the builders were installing it so we had to track it down from Auckland, the cabinetry, get Wellington people to install it. Of course, they smashed the mirror. Of course, mm. all the plants got dropped, you know, mm. remade. Or, but then in the end, again, as I said, when you enable people and let them shine, um, I haven't even met the team yet. I've met them over Zoom and we've had a lot of fun together and lockdown over team Zooms. But um, the team that are running our Wellington store, it's been open for over a month, six weeks. It's our top performing store. Wow. Because our stores have been closed, and then um, oh, true. I met them. 
And they merchandise the store themselves. They um, have had their own customer service um, way of, like, you know, way of interacting with their customer base. That normally, I must admit, I'm a bit of a control freak. I would have gone down and said, this is how I like you to sell. This is how I like you to put the shoes on the shelf. This is how I like you to merchandise. Whereas this has been such a wonderful thing to see them use their initiative be amazing at like you know the camaraderie they've built as a little team of Wellington without needing us over their shoulder and you know it's been a really good reminder yeah and it's Um, good learning sometimes you're sort of forced into these situations and sometimes you know good stuff comes out of it absolutely and I think the whole team morale everyone in Auckland has been so proud of what they've done so they're you know they're proud of their own little team but everyone in Auckland has have been really been excited from it as well yeah that's great and that's good so yeah lockdown has been tough and it's been tough for lots of reasons um for retail industry but also our online sales have been incredible and our kind of loyal customer base have really supported us through it um so again we're just trying to yeah take the learnings from it as something that we wouldn't have had otherwise Yeah, um, and um, hopefully we won't have any more lockdowns. I know. Fingers crossed. We're yeah. all a bit over it here in Auckland. And we all want to wear something nice and colourful heels and, like, yeah. you know, good news. That's why I bought my silver heels. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, yay, I can't wait to actually wear them. Ah, uh, wear them around the house. To go to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think I will. I was actually hoping I could have them on for this interview, but uh, they haven't arrived yet. I think they're coming oh, very soon. Oh, I'm in sorry. transit at the moment as we speak. Um, all right, so I guess we better finish off, Catherine. I think that you and I could talk for a long time. There's so much I would love to ask you, you know, with your interesting life and, and amazing creative journey. But um, we'll start to wrap it up. I'd just like to ask a couple of questions, and then I thought we could do some quick, fun shoe questions for you. Um, so firstly, what advice would you have for someone dreaming of starting their own creative business or fashion line? Well, firstly, just do it. I didn't have a business plan. This is terrible advice, but I didn't have a business plan for about 10 years. I did an Ice House owner manager program, um, yeah, literally nine years in the business. And that was the first time they literally said to me, You are screaming out for some governance. Like, who's telling you what not to do? Because, you know, and it was really, I think that's refreshing again to just be reminded you don't always have to follow a rule book or um, do things as they, should be done because if it's a good idea just go for it and roll it out now and again choose a job you love and you never work a day in your life it's very true like make sure it's making you happy um when I I judged a student competition in Malaysia and Jimmy Chu was the patron of this um foundation and so I when I was told I got to go and stay at New Zealand house and it was all very fancy and I remember saying to our New Zealand um consulate like he we do you think I'll actually meet him will he actually be there do you know do, do you think and yes yes Catherine that's why you're here you know he's gonna be you know so nervous that the whole way there in the van with the um you know the Stephen Joyce well, at the time was our foreign minister and I was like do you think that he's gonna be there yes Catherine so by the time I was introduced at this fancy golf course um I was so nervous because he was my you know, like, of course, in my industry, like my guru. And he, I see, he said, um, oh, this is Catherine Wilson. This is New Zealand's best shoe designer. And he said, oh, yes, I've seen your website. Congratulations, Catherine. Very nice. And I was so <laughs> stunned that he was even speaking, let alone in my presence. 
that I was so nervous. I said, oh, I had a dream last night that uh, when I met you, I fell over in front of you. And I had a, you know, like, and then I instantly <laughs> thought, oh, my God, all these words were bubbling out of my mouth. And I thought, what a door. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking, oh, but then I looked up and he said, but, but Catherine, I would catch you. And oh, I thought, my oh. God. It's like a reminder, though, that it's not, um, there's, in the life, seven degrees of separation. In New Zealand, there's two degrees of separation. So this, like, I thought of him as so um, idolised and, you know, like I couldn't mm. believe he was a human. Untouchable. And then he was so humble and so um, willing. And the time, we ended up inviting him back down to New Zealand a few years later with Remix Magazine. We launched a big party called The Love of Footwear and I did a big nine metre circular rigging chandelier with 200 pieces of shoes hanging down and oh, wow. 10,000 metres of ribbon and flowers and I was at oh. Sky City like a big champagne cocktail event and when I um it was I mean we couldn't believe he said yes you know what I mean like we thought imagine if we invite him down to New Zealand like let's just boing up with his managers in Australia and see what they say and when they said yes we're like shit what are we gonna do with Jimmy Jim How <laughs> you know fantastic but, yeah, but he wow. came and visited all my stores. He met my staff. Um, we took him fishing on a boat where he's a vegan Buddhist, so not ideal. But we went a day out on the Waitemata Harbour with Sky City. Anyway, but it was this most wonderful thing of realising he's very human and very lo- the love of shoes. You know, like he really he started at 11 years old making shoes for his mum or something, and his dad was a blacksmith or a trained. And so it's almost like... He it came from the love of, and then his story is really interesting again because of selling the brand at an early stage and commercializing a product. But I think my learnings in that is like just as a as a young or a big dream, or like I think in New Zealand you actually have two degrees of separation. Someone will know someone that can help you, and even though you think of it as this, you know, like me back in the day and Karen Walker in that workroom, and I was scared to talk to anyone or scared to put my hand up, but actually they would have been very approachable. They were all very lovely people. And I think you think things are harder at the time or maybe earlier in your career, you think things are scarier, but actually everyone is probably willing to help. Mm. And if they can't help you, they'll put you onto someone that can. Um, So again, just don't be afraid to ask for help or don't be afraid to put yourself out there. And, you know, sometimes you feel like a bit of a dork or you know, be the one that asks the questions. and Yeah, and move on and just being proactive in that way. And yeah. I mean, your story is the perfect inspiration, I think, for people starting out that you you did do that and you were prepared to, you know, do the, do the sweeping and ironing and, you know, <laughs> getting out there. And, and, and you were very brave to do that, really, I think. And you must think that looking back in a way. Yeah, or again, I was scared and I was nervous and I, I was like, I used to not enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? Like I would be so scared about going in that I'd just wish the day would be over. But that after a few times you actually mm. everything becomes comfortable. So I understand that feeling of it is overwhelming. It doesn't matter if you're young or different career choice at a different age. It is overwhelming because if you're putting yourself out there creatively, you're potentially not everyone will like what you do. But mm. I don't know, you just have to kind of get past that and then surround yourself with people that either make you happy, inspire you, um, or are willing to come on the journey with you and celebrate you. Like celebrating is really important and make it fun. Yeah. Great um, advice. Yeah. Keep it light. Yeah, I love it. So I'm very excited to ask you these fun shoe questions. Um, boot or sandal? 
now that I'm a mom, sando, sandal, sandal, sandal. But um, I must admit, I kind of prefer winter fashion because you can be more dressed, you know? Yeah, I love boots myself. Mm. Boots and scarves and that snuggy stuff. Nice, yeah. Puts the outfit together. Yeah. Loafer or slide? Loafer. I love, um, I'm quite drawn to menswear. I often think that men's fashion dictates a lot of the trends, especially with footwear. They almost start with men's and then they're, showing through in women's um so that men's traditional oxford bro loafers um and maybe that's part of me studying in nottingham where they were very you know famous for the list of brogues and things so yeah, yeah i love men's yeah yeah i love a good brogue um trainer or stiletto oh again i was very stiletto for a long time but i'm very much trainer again <laughs> yeah um that's motherhood isn't it for you I have a two-year-old so I'm yeah. running practicalities yeah. yeah um but I'm sure the stilettos still come out now and then I yeah and I keep so what I like to do is have I have a shoe wall that holds 80 pairs at home and I'm 39 as is Beyonce Beyonce's same slashes um my girl a lot of my girlfriends and my mum and my sister are 39 so I'll rotate a lot of my shoes and you know like I love nothing more than to gift them or um but often I will keep one of the things that are, you know, so I, the, the idea that you can have a shoe for 20 years is wonderful. Mm. And I still have a lot of my kind of stiletto shapes, which are never going to date. They're mm. always timeless designs and, um, yeah, something that lasts forever. Yeah, How amazing. So cool. And, um, yeah, to have that selection, do you do you actually always wear your own shoes or do you buy other I shoes? do. Um, I do. I love shoes. And when we're overseas, normally I would be tempted to shop, obviously, with beautiful shoes. but. I find if I wear a pair that's someone else's, it's quickly um, assumed that they're mine and then people will say, when are they coming out? <laughs> oh, well, these aren't mine. They're like, why? why? But they're like, that's my favourite shoe you've ever made. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, slip on or buckled? Again, slip on because of mum life. At the moment I'm wearing a gladiator sandal with buckles all the you know lots of buckles but that's because my kids had left home by the time I got dressed (laughs) um high or low hi we're gonna we're gonna go you go high bright or subtle bright I knew the answer to that one already shiny or matte oh usually matte actually yeah textured or smooth textured pattern or plain um pattern I'm, I'm quite happy to wear a pattern you know like I think a pattern is something seasonal and like as an accent as well pattern mm, interesting that's why I'm starting to think maybe I should have got those leopard shoes instead of the yeah well, that's timeless they're never gonna date that's what you're wearing <laughs> beautiful um glitter 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 whether whether in a small in a small capacity, as an accent. Good answer. Sensible or flamboyant? Flamboyant. And your favourite Catherine Wilson shoe ever? Oh, we did once appear, well, a shoe actually, for Ronald McDonald House Charities and covered it entirely in diamonds. Um, and what was auctioned off, it was with a collaboration with Orsini Jewellers and Parnell. 
And I remember asking her what the likelihood is. Like, could, is it is it like a thing? Could you do it? Like, what is it, you know? Um, and when she said yes, again, it's like, what's the worst that could happen? You ask, right? So we did this, ex- we asked 25 artists to collaborate using my shoe as the subject. And these were just people that I looked up to, um, you know, artists from around New Zealand, sculptors, painters, photographers. She was the jeweller um, that covered one of my shoes entirely in stones. So it was mostly Kivit Zakania, but with 19 carats of diamonds. Um, and the reserve price that night was 500000 and it sold for that. So wow. I'm sure the diamonds didn't stay on the shoe for long. They're probably on the its <laughs> fingers. But it was a really special thing to do. And the, the event was at the Northern Club and really fancy. And we kind of didn't know if it was going to even sell or, you know, but all the art was beautiful. We hung out in this beautiful gallery form. And we raised over $40,000 that night for Ronald McDonald House. But um, the diamond shoe had to get transported in a bank vault with this big armor guard van and have two big, huge guys standing oh my gosh. the whole night. And I it wasn't until after that whole event that we, um, realized and read in media and the Italian Vogue that it was the most expensive shoe that had ever been made. Really? So it would have been literally a million dollar pair of shoes that we had oh we only did one Wow. And so much cooler than um Damien Hurst's skull. I would oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so much oh, yeah. cooler. Yeah. And like an actual piece of art. You know, yeah. I think the buyer was intending to have the zirconia stones on it and have it in a perspex case in her foyer because it's stunning, like a beautiful stiletto. Mm. And that Cinderella moment, you know, you mm. can't, yeah. can't go wrong. Totally. Mm. Beautiful. Oh, well, on that lovely note of the diamond shoe, I must let you go. I know you're a very busy woman. Um, so thank you, Catherine, so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I know that um, probably that was one of the things that you might have said no about, but uh, you were very generous to give your time to um, Creative Matters and to me. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And uh, it's, it's been so lovely to meet you. Well, well done too for what you do. As I said earlier, my six-year-old does Creative Matters her local school in Hambay and um it's her favorite thing and she comes home skipping and she's like you know it's a really lovely thing as a mum to see it's potentially where she's going to be um led in her studies as well so I really appreciate you having the facility to do that for her thank you well done that's great thanks very much for that and uh have a lovely day, and I look forward to um, sending you a photo of me in your Zaza shoes. Oh, good. Cool. <laughs> yes, do. Yeah. Thanks, Catherine. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay. Oh, I've just ended the meeting. That should have stopped recording. Hang on.